about you, but uh, I'm finding myself more and more these days unsubscribing to all sorts of things that comes through the internet. I don't know where I get on people's lists, but I've been unsubscribing. And uh, thanks, Jer, that would be a little bit better. But I did run across something this last week that, um, that was worthwhile. And uh, it caught my attention. It was the top Bible verses for the new year. I don't know if you got mailed something like that. But it caught my attention, and there were some classics on there. There was a great verse for revival or renewal in our life. And I just want to read that to you, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is a great verse for the new year. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our identity as a new creation entering a new year. That's a great verse to hold on to. Here's another one. It has to do with our relationships. And I found it particularly meaningful because we're still in this pandemic season where we're not able to gather in person the way we'd like to, uh, certainly not in, um, in, in our uh, connect groups and small groups, and I would heartily encourage all of us uh, starting after next, we, we won't meet in connect groups this week, but following next Sunday, we're going to encourage everyone to be on a connect group, again, just keeping our relationships together. So here's this verse, uh, Hebrews 10, chapter, 20, chapter 10, verses 24, let us consider entering into the new year how we may spur one another on towards love and good works. That's a great verse for the new year. How can we stir one another to love and good works, not giving up meeting together, even with the restrictions that we're under right now, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, strengthening one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. That's a great verse for the new years. Here's one more that's a classic. Uh, trust in the Lord. This is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to enter into 2021. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's a great verse and uh, for those of us who get to email Messina, that's her, that's her email address. Every time you, remember, you email Messina, you're reminded of that great promise of God's word to trust in him. But here's the one that really caught my attention on this list of the top Bible verses. And you'll see why in a moment. It actually comes out of Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne, and the context is the king of the new creation. He who was seated on the throne said... Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. And that's the future work of the new creation, but he is already at work in our lives making all things new. And that's a great verse to hang on to in the new year. Well, the, uh, the reason that one, of course, grabbed my attention was because it was out of the book of Revelation. And we are starting the new year with a new series on the book of Revelation. I'm excited about that, and I hope you will uh, be excited about that as well. And, and um, the question would be, why? Why would we do a series on the book of Revelation? And um, some of us might think, well, of course, you know, we're living in tumultuous times, end times, and there's prophecies being fulfilled, and, and we need, Revelation is uh, in part about fulfillment of prophecy. So we need to be tuned in to who the Antichrist is and... Um, who the beast is and what the mark of the beast is and, and these, these end-time prophecies. But, and that's all in there, but that's not the primary reason. That's really not the real reason. The, the, the real reason that we're going to do a study on the book of Revelation is because it contains 
contains God's revelation to you for the new year. Contains God's revelation for, to me for the new year. And I can't think of anything more important than going into the new year with a fresh sense, for some of us maybe a new sense, of God's revelation for us and for our lives. And so that's the real reason that we're going to see together a new revelation, a fresh revelation of who Jesus Christ is, because we're going to see that's what the book is all about. So we're going to do a couple of things this morning as we start this series. I'd like us to just introduce the book. It's for many of us, it's a very strange book. Some of us may not have never read the book. Some of us may have started to read it and found all sorts of weird things and been discouraged from finishing to read it. But um, we're going to see the power of this book is in its strangeness. <laughs> in, in some, in some uh, it seems kind of a contradiction. But we're going to seek to understand, just introduce the book so that we understand uh, how to interpret it accurately. There's all sorts of wingy um, interpretations, understandings of this book. So we're going to introduce the book, but most important, what I don't want to leave you, uh, what I want you to leave with this morning more than anything else, is that personal revelation that God has for you. I mean that directly. I mean that, that, that Jesus has... The Holy Spirit has a revelation for you and me to enter into. And we're going to look at the revelation of the entire book. So we're going to see what's the, the message of the entire book. What is that revelation that God wants you to enter into 2021 that he wants me to hold on to and look to in 2021? So let's read together and it'll come up on the screen the uh, introduction to the book, just the first three verses, and it'll help us to understand what this book is all about says this, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, the revelation, and we're going to see the word is actually in the Greek word, the apocalypse, but we're going to see what that word means. The revelation, and some versions say, from Jesus Christ. Now, in the original text, it can be translated the revelation of Jesus Christ or the revelation from Jesus Christ. In a sense, both are true. I think the better rendering is the revelation of Jesus Christ, because the whole book is about Jesus Christ. And yes, it comes from God, but it is the content is entirely about Jesus Christ. So I would uh, render that the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, why? To show his servants, that's you and me, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John. We see John's the author, and... Uh, God sends an angel and opens up all sorts of windows for John to look through, who testifies to everything he saw. John saw this as a prophetic vision, and he passes it on to the churches and then to us. That is, it's the word of God. This came from God, and it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So I'm being blessed already because I'm just reading it out loud. You can read it out loud. But it's also those who hear it. Blessed is the one who reads about the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. But it's not just about reading and hearing it. There has to be a heart work here. And take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. That's the introduction to this Revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to just point out that the book of Revelation is three things. Very simply, it is, first of all, it's a letter. <laughs> it's a letter, like the rest of the New Testament letters. It is written by a particular author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, yes, but it's written by John, 
He's in exile on the island of Patmos because of his faith and uh, has a particular author and he writes to a particular audience, seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and he names them and, he, and uh, Christ has a message for each, but he's writing to those churches. There's a specific author, there's a specific audience, the specific historical context. There are things going on in those churches, there's things going on in that culture, in that context, that are being specifically addressed. That's all important to realize. The significance of that is, oh, by the way, this is the longest New Testament letter. Of all the New Testament letters, Revelation, it starts off, and, and in the next section, John will introduce himself as the author, and he'll address and send a commendation to those he's speaking, and he ends the book as a letter. It's a letter. But what's important, what's significant is, we need to understand this word of God, first of all, in its historical context, who it was written to, what were, the, what were the issues? What's the message to that original audience? That will keep us with an accurate interpretation, but it's obviously not just for Pergamum and Thyatira and Laodicea and Ephesus. It's for New Hope Kailua. So it's written to a historical context, and we need to understand it and, and see what it meant for those original authors, but it's the word of God that speaks to all of us. So it's both of those things, but it's a letter. It happened, it's a historical document written by an author to a particular audience with spiritual needs that are, uh, with, contains the message. This is the, the nature of the scriptures. All of the New Testament letters are written that way and we need to interpret them that way. That'll keep an accurate interpretation, but it's still the word of God to us and speaks to our culture and to our day and to our future just as, as much as it did in the first century. So it's a letter. Secondly, it's a prophecy. That's the way it's described in verse 3, meaning what? Prophecies come from God. Only God knows the future. He's the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the alphabet. He knows all things. And because it comes from God, it speaks about prophetic events in the future. And yes, it's delivered from God through an angel to John, to the churches in Asia Minor, minor modern-day Turkey, and through all of that to us. It's a word of God. It's prophetic, and it does contain future events. So it's a letter. It's a prophecy. But here's the thing. It's an apocalypse. That's the word. It's the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to use that word because that word in English has become uh, meaning something totally different. When, when people use the word apocalypse, it's not an everyday term, but it usually speaks of some catastrophic event. It was apocalyptic, or and certainly the, the destruction of the end of the world. Uh, that's the apocalypse. And, and so that sense of a, a, a climactic, uh, destructive event is what the word apocalypse means. That's not what it meant in the original text. In the original text, in, in John's uh, usage, it simply means an unveiling, a disclosure, a pulling back of the curtains. And that's what the book of Revelation does. And yes, it does include end time events, but it's much more than that. It's a disclosure. It's an unveiling of unseen spiritual realities. Things that you cannot see with your physical eyes. You cannot touch. You cannot uh, perceive with your, with your natural senses, your eyes, your, your hearing, your touch. But there are unseen spiritual realities that are revealed, that are unveiled, that are disclosed. The curtain is pulled back and we're given eyes to see 
windows in heaven, windows into the future, windows into unseen spiritual realities that are happening right around us, but we just can't see with our physical eyes. And that's what it is. It's an unveiling. And um, you, um, in order to do that, the book uses all sorts of powerful images. And this is the part that is both the power of the book and also puzzles people. And so this apocalyptic literature, this form of literature that the Holy Spirit uh, reveals and John uses to uh, unveil those spiritual realities, it's powerful and it has a purpose. But uh, listen to some of the image. It has powerful uh, symbols and images. And, and if you've tried to read the book, you, you, uh, you know that this is a, a major part of the book. Just listen to an example or two. Revelation chapter 12, 1 to 5. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Powerful, vivid images. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child. <laughs> what a vivid symbolic image. A dragon about to eat a baby um, that's being given birth. The moment he was born, she gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. This child is the king, and her child was snatched up to God in his throne. Powerful, vivid images, spiritual realities that are unseen. Here's another example, Revelation chapter 13. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns. Nobody's seen an animal like that, a beast with ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns. And each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard. Resembled a leopard. Didn't say it was a leopard. It looked like a leopard. But it had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. This was no earthly kind of symbol or image or animal. The dragon gave the beast its power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they were also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against the beast? Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. All of these strange, bizarre images, some of them are uh, animal-like, uh, compared to animal kinds of images. But they're not just all beasts and, and horns and, and weird stuff. Revelation chapter 19, this is maybe one of the, the more... The, the better known um, images, symbols, uh, powerful imagery of spiritual realities. I saw heaven standing open. There's John. He's got a window into heaven. I saw it with my own eyes, says John. Heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. 
He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. There's a mystery about him. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Powerful, vivid symbols, imagery. And one last one. Chapter 21, one of the seven angels carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. See, it's very vivid, detailed parts of this vision of the the new Jerusalem. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Well, throughout the book, you have this literature that has um, very strong, very powerful images and, and details. And there's a purpose for that kind of um, Literature for that kind of revelation, and here's the, the, uh, the purpose of this kind of literature. It's to, do, it's to unveil unseen spiritual realities that you cannot see with your eyes and to change our lives. That's the purpose, and it's there in your notes or um, if you're following along on the screen. The reason why the Holy Spirit u- utilizes this kind of literature is to transform our life. It's designed to change us. And it changes us by opening our eyes to these unseen spiritual realities. You know, the book of Revelation could be called Windows 96. Windows 96. Why? Well, it was written in 96 AD by the Apostle John, and it's a series of windows that are opened up into these unseen spiritual realities. Future events, uh, uh, present events that you cannot see with your own eyes. But when you have that Um, the the spiritual eyes to see that the Holy Spirit wants to give us as we read this book, it it will change our lives. You will not make the same decisions in 2021 when you have eyes to see the spiritual realities that are unveiled in the book of Revelation. Your priorities will change. Your lifestyle will change. And so will mine. Because these unseen spiritual realities are designed to shape us, to change us from the inside out, to change our values, to change our lifestyles, to change our vision, and most of all, to change our worship. Okay? So these, uh, it's to transform our lives and also to bless us. We saw in the opening verses. Blessed are the, and a theme of the book, and I want to take a moment just to read it because this runs through the entire book, that the... uh, the book is designed to bring blessing into our lives. Um, not just one time, but, but here some other occasions where there's actually seven of them, which is not surprising. Seven, the number of completion, the number of perfection. There are seven blessings spoken of through the book of Revelation. Revelation 1.3, we read, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. 
Revelation 14, 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Revelation 16, 15, look, I come like a thief. Jesus taught this himself. He's coming at a time no one expects him. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and shamefully exposed. Be ready for the return of Jesus and be blessed. He wants to fill your life with blessing and mine. Blessed are those, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He's got a great celebration, a great feast ahead, and he wants to, you to be a part of that blessing and me. Revelation chapter 20 verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection because Jesus is resurrected from the dead. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Blessed, blessed. God wants to fill your life with blessing. Revelation 22 and verse 7. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy that lives out the truths of the book of Revelation. Blessed are who keeps the word of the prophecy written on this scroll. And then the final one, Revelation 22 and verse 14. Throughout the book, the book is designed to bring God's blessing into your life and into my life. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. We'll see what that means in context. But here's the thing. I find that this word blessing is one of the Christianese words that's become really cheapened in our culture. What does it mean? God wants to bless us. And, you know, we use the word bless. Someone sneezes and you say, bless you. And what do you mean? Well, I don't know. <laughs> May something positive happen to you or have a nice day or something. I don't know what it means why we say bless you when someone sneezes. But when we come to the scriptures, and again, it's there in your notes, what blessing means in the scriptures in the uh, uh, Hebrew language means to fill with the potency of life and victory. That's the best definition I've seen given by Bruce Waltke, an Old Testament Hebrew scholar. <laughs> well, you see how this word is used in its original language and its original context. It means to fill with life and fill with victory and fill with potency. And it's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, I've come that you might have life and life to its fullness. God wants to fill you up with the life of Jesus, both here and in the future and beyond the grave. The life of Jesus, eternal life, fullness of life, absolute life, he wants to fill us with a fullness of, of life and victory that in the challenges that we face, that we would be overcomers is a word the book is going to use over and over again, that we would be victories, that we would win, that we would experience the triumph of Christ. And um, he wants us to fill us with the life of Jesus. Now, here's the thing that I, I want us to uh, don't miss this. Um, why was the book of Revelation written? What is the issue that was being addressed with those seven churches in the first century that's the issue for New Hope Kailua? And it's simply this. Who will you worship in 2021? Who will I worship in the new year? That's the issue being addressed by this book. Who will you worship? The question is not, will you worship? Everybody worships. Take a sociology 101 class and you realize, that's part of being a human being. Every human being worships. Even atheists worship. They put something on the throne of their life. It's part of being a human being. Birds fly in the air. Fish swim in the water. Human beings, that's what we do. We worship something. 
The issue is, who will you worship in 2021? Will you worship the powers of this age? Or will you worship Jesus Christ? Will I worship the powers of this age? Or will I worship Jesus Christ? Whom will you follow? Will you follow the beast with all of his seductive, deceptive offers of, of, of pleasure and wealth? Or will you follow the lamb who offers a life of sacrificial living? Whom will you follow? Whom will you worship? Um, what city will you live in? You say, I'm in Kailua. I'm in Kailua. No, no, are you living in Babylon the harlot? The city that's in rebellion against God and, and living with values that are in rebellion against God? Or will you live for the values of the new Jerusalem, the city of God who comes down, that comes down from earth. What will your lifestyle, what will your values, whom will you follow, whom will you worship? This is the issue of the book of Revelation. And so that's the challenge for us. And the Holy Spirit, as a good pastor, through Pastor Apostle John, wants us to worship fully and wholeheartedly the Lord Jesus Christ and forsake the beast and all of his seductive offerings. He wants us to, to follow the lamb and to forsake the beast and, and all of uh, his uh, presence in the world in which we live in. That's the issue of the book of Revelation and that's the challenge for you and me as we enter into the new year is who are you going to worship? Who am I going to worship? The book of Revelation says worthy is the lamb. <laughs> Uh, of all things, of our love, of our adoration, of our service, of our worship, of our values, of everything. Forsake the beast, follow the lamb. That's the calling for you and me. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And just before we come to communion, I want to just summarize, because look at the big picture of the book. This is one book, and we're going to look at each part of it as we walk through. But the big picture is simply that. That Jesus is worthy of your worship. He's worthy of following. He's the only one you want to devote yourself to. And you want to forsake the beast in every way that he manifests himself in our culture, in our day, in our age, in what's going on in our world. And follow the lamb and devote yourself to the lamb. Because of three reasons. There's three great truths about Jesus. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the book reveals three powerful major truths about who Jesus is. And here's the first one. Jesus Christ is the glorious king priest. He's the glorious king priest who loves his church and reigns over his church. That's a major part of who he is. And so in the first three chapters of the book, we read this. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And so we have the risen, glorified, loving Jesus who speaks to his church and he walks among his church and he rules and loves his church. That's who he is. And he's glorious. Listen to the description. I saw seven golden lampstands. What's the lampstand? Well, we're going to see those are the churches. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, we're going to see those are the clothings of the king and the priest. He's both. He's the king priest. The hair on his head was like white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. 
powerful. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. He's the glorious king priest of heaven who loves his church, who speaks to his church, and he has a message for every one of those seven churches, and he has a message for our hearts, and he has a message for New Hope Kailua, because he loves, and he builds, and he rebukes, and he corrects, and he encourages, because he loves his church. He's the glorious king priest of heaven over his church. That's who Jesus is. That's the revelation of Christ. You don't see him, you can't feel him, you can't touch him, but it's an unseen spiritual reality that you want to have shape your life, and I want to have shape my life. But there's a second thing, because those are only the first three chapters. The second great truth about Jesus that's unveiled in the book of Revelation, and that he's the worthy, absolutely worthy judge of the world. He's the one who has the love and the holiness and the purity and the insight and the power to make all things right on our planet. And so, yes, there's a great day of him making all things new and, and destroying powers of evil and wickedness that are in our world, that are in our culture. And so we read in chapter uh, 5, the, this is revealed in this whole section. He's going to destroy Babylon the harlot, the city that's in rebellion against God. He's going to bring ultimate judgment. But who alone is worthy of that? Well, we read in chapter 5, it says this, John has a window open in heaven. And he sees, ultimately, Jesus is the worthy judge of the world. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And you realize those seven seals are seals of judgment. And I saw a mighty angel, a powerful angel, proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. No one was capable of it. No one was worthy of it. So evil is going to rule the future of the world because no one's able to bring judgment on that. No, listen to the story. I wept. That's why John weeps that we're going to continue living in a world with viruses and pandemics and death and rebellion and murder and and abortion and all of the evils that happen in our world, it's just going to continue because no one can bring judgment on that. And he says, no, I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. There is one who is able to do this. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. I don't know what that meant, but I've seen pictures where maybe it had its throat slashed. That's how they offered sacrifices. But it was a lamb who looked like he'd been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns, seven eyes. Well, I've never seen a lamb like that, but this is a heavenly vision, powerful imagery, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song. They sang a new song. You are worthy, the lamb who was slain, to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, innumerable. On, uh, they circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, what's this? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. He is the one worth worshiping. He is the one worth following. He is the worthy judge of the world. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Why? Because he's worthy of worship. He's the coming judge who has a heart of compassion and love, but also purity. He is worthy of our worship, of our adoration, of our service. Don't follow the beast. Follow the worthy coming lamb who's going to judge the world. So he's the glorious king priest of the church who loves his people, loves his bride. He's the worthy judge of the world coming. And he's worthy of following for that reason. But there's a third major revelation of who Jesus is. And that's what this book is all about. It's the revelation of who Jesus is. And the third one is simply this. He's the life-giving king of the new creation. When he brings judgment to the world, he's going to usher in a new creation. And he is the life-giving king of the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. Then I saw, this is Revelation 21, another window from heaven. And what does John say? New Hope Kailua, get it, folks. This is the one who's worthy of following, not the beast and all of his powers, but because he's going to rule with life and love over a new universe when he comes. And we get a window into that. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The one that we're living in right now, gone. But there's going to be a new universe. And there was no longer any sea. And he says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It was going to be a, a love celebration. Bride, husband, Jesus, his people, new creation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, take a look. Look through this window. See these unseen spiritual realities that are going to happen. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself be, will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Total new creation and a life-giving new creation. He who was seated on the throne said this, and this is where we started. I am making everything new, everything perfect, everything whole, everything right, everything loving, everything life, all things new in the new creation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, powerful image. This is a new creation filled with life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, the tree of life. Right back from the Garden of Genesis because God wants to give the life and the life of Jesus. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing. Oh, I forgot. Down the middle of the great street. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. 
every month a fresh crop, continual, eternal, everlasting, abundant life, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Doesn't our planet need some healing of the nations? No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, face to face, vision, insight, understanding, sight of, of who Jesus is. And his name will be on their foreheads, and they will reign forever and ever. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches, including New Hope Kailua. I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm the king. I'm the bright morning star. He's the king of the new creation. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Thirsty for spiritual water, for spiritual life. And the, let the one who wishes, take the free gift of the water of life. This is the life-giving king of the new creation. That's who Jesus is. That's who, why he is worthy of your worship in 2021 and mine. And that's why we're going to encourage and strengthen each other to, to look into these windows that the Holy Spirit gives us to realize freshly and more deeply who Jesus is and why it's worth leaving everything of the beast in our life and following wholeheartedly the Lamb of God who was slain for us. We're going to conclude our service by celebrating communion. What an awesome remembrance of the slain lamb, that it was his body, that it was his blood that was shed. And uh, through that, he became, uh, for us, the one worthy of serving, the leader of the church, the leader of our lives, the one who loves us and gave his life for us, and yes, the one who is worthy to judge the entire planet and the one who is going to come in power and love. And when Jesus gave us these elements, he said, remember me, remember that this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. I'm the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, but more particularly for your sins and for my sins, and enter into that and worship me as the one who is worthy, the lamb who was slain, who is coming again to reign. So um, the worship team is going to come and lead us in a song of worship, and then we'll take communion. Hopefully you received one of those packages on your way in. I'll come back and uh, pray. We'll take it together. And then we'll be finished for this morning. Thank you again, Lord Jesus, for your heart of love that's reflected in these simple emblems. Thank you that you came into our world as we celebrated in a miraculous way at Christmas time. But that heart of love that ultimately took you to the cross, your mission to die for the sins of the world, to suffer the just penalty for our failures, for our wickedness. And thank you, Lord, for a heart of love that wants to forgive us, that wants to uh, renew us, that wants to bring your life into our lives here and now and beyond the grave, that the life that you offer us is eternal life, resurrection life. And Lord, as we take these emblems and we start off this new year, we want to recognize that you are indeed worthy. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our love. You're worthy of our service, of our adoration, of our everything. Strengthen us by your spirit as we take these elements into our body. Strengthen us internally in a spiritual way to walk in a manner worthy of the king who loves us, of the king who's coming to judge and reign, and the one who is going to bring 
your glory to earth in a way that has never been seen before. So we take these emblems gratefully, Lord, for your love for us, and we dedicate ourselves to walk with you in this new year and to recognize that you are our leader, our king, the one who loves us with an eternal love. In Jesus' name, amen.